Robert Browning, Soliloquy of the Spanish Cloister. Soliloquy of the Spanish Cloister and The Bishop Orders His Tomb at St. Praxed's Church are two examples of Browning's dramatic monologues depicting religious figures. The latter poem depicts a 16th century bishop who is apparently dying and choosing where he will be entombed within the church, as was often the custom for bishops and other high church officials. The bishop orders his tomb ironically emphasizes the worldliness of this bishop and jealousy of his rival, named Gandalf. The bishop speaks of his desire to have a better location from which to observe the church services and to be able to see his rival, who will envy him because he will have a better location and also better quality stone in his tomb. In the course of that poem, he continues to indict himself, not only for his worldliness and jealousy, but we learn that he had stolen a large lapis stone from his former church after the church burned. He has some sons, so much for the vow of chastity, and he is telling them to bury the lapis with him and to give him an inscription. If they comply with his wishes, he'll intercede with the saints to get them riches and mistresses, and if they don't comply, he'll give all his estates to the Pope so that they won't inherit anything. Soliloquy of the Spanish Cloister also gives us a view of a highly hypocritical figure. In this case, the speaker of the poem is a monk in a monastery who is jealous of another monk named Brother Lawrence. It is, of course, exaggerated to the extreme, but that's the level in which Browning seems most interested. Here is the poem. Grrr! There go my heart's abhorrence! What are your damned flower pots do? If hate killed man, Brother Lawrence, God's blood would not mind kill you. What? Your myrtle bush wants trimming? Oh, that rose has prior claims. Needs its leaden vase filled brimming? Hell dry you up with its flames. At the meal we sit together. Salve Tibi. I must hear wise talk of the kind of weather, sort of season, time of year. Not a plenteous cork crop, scarcely dare we hope oak galls, I doubt. What's the Latin name for parsley? What's the Greek name for swine snout? We'll have our platter burnished, laid with care on our own shelf. With a fire-new spoon we're furnished, and a goblet for ourself, rinsed like something sacrificial, ere tis fit to touch our chaps, marked with L for our initial. Hee-hee, <laughs> there his lily snaps. Saint forsooth, while brown Dolores squats outside the convent bank with Sanchicha, telling stories, steeping tresses in the tank, blue-black, lustrous, thick like horsehairs. Can't I see his dead eye glow, bright as twere a Barbary corsairs, that is, if he'd let it show. When he finishes refection, knife and fork he never lays crosswise, to my recollection, as do I in Jesus' praise. I, the Trinity, illustrate, drinking watered orange pulp in three sips, the Arian frustrate, while he drowns his at one gulp. Oh, those melons! If he's able, we're to have a feast. So nice! One goes to the abbot's table. 
All of us get each a slice. How go on your flowers? None double? Not one fruit sort can you spy? Strange. And I, too, at such trouble, keep them close-nipped on the sly. There's a great text in Galatians. Once you trip on it, entails 29 distinct damnations, one sure if another fails. If I trip him just a dying, sure of heaven as can be, spin him around and send him flying off to hell, a manichee. Or, my scrofulous French novel on gray paper with blunt type, simply glance at it, you grovel hand and foot in Belial's gripe. If I double down its pages at the woeful 16th print, when he gathers his green gauges, ope a sleeve and slip it in it. Or, there's Satan, one might venture, pledge one's soul to him, yet leave such a flaw in the indentured as he'd miss, till past retrieve, blasted lay that rose acacia we're so proud of. Hi, hi, hi. There's Vespers, Plena Gratia, Ave Virgo. Grr, you swine! End quote. Well, this is a fun poem. The speaker's jealousy of his fellow monk, Brother Lawrence, and his hypocrisy are so extreme that it becomes comical. He is plotting ways that he can have Brother Lawrence condemned to hell. Brother Lawrence is apparently the green thumb of the monastery always growing roses with double blossoms, growing melons, one of which always goes to the table of the abbot or chief monk. And of course, the more that the speaker talks, the more he hangs himself. He is projecting his own sins on Brother Lawrence to get him condemned and, paradoxically, praising his own piety. So, for example, after the memorable opening growl and a few stanzas about jealousy, in the fourth stanza he begins while Brown Dolores squats outside the convent bank with Sanchicha, telling stories, steeping tresses in the tank, blue-black, lustrous, thick like horsehairs. He is dwelling on the sight of these nuns washing their hair in the river, all the while imagining that if Brother Lawrence looked at them with his dead eye, glowing bright as twere a Barbary corsairs, that is, as a pirate from the Barbary coast of Africa, then Brother Lawrence would be tempted with the sin of lust. In the fifth stanza, the speaker points out that whenever he finishes refection, or his meal, he always lays out his knife and fork in the shape of a cross, and he always drinks his orange juice in three gulps to honor the Trinity. Brother Lawrence never does that. In the sixth stanza, we learn that the speaker has been snipping off the buds from Brother Lawrence's flowers so that they don't bear fruit. In the seventh stanza, he refers to a text in the biblical book of Galatians, in which St. Paul provides a catalog of at least 17 mortal sins, while conveniently ignoring a passage in the same book where Paul says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, but if ye hate and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. He focuses only on these little sins and thinks that if he could only get Brother Lawrence tripped up on one of those just at the moment when he was sure of salvation, and if he were to die then, he would go straight to hell. 
He mentions in the eighth stanza having a French novel. French novels were infamous for being risque, and he could slip that into the plums that Brother Lawrence was gathering. And if Brother Lawrence would just glance at it, he would be caught in Belial's grip, Belial being one of Satan's chief demons. Finally, in the last section, the speaker imagines selling his own soul, pledging one's soul to him, or making a pact with the devil so cleverly that the terms of the contract would allow him to escape at the last moment, but would condemn Brother Lawrence to hell. Browning depicts this fictional character in quite a humorous way, showing the degree to which his jealousy and pettiness have affected his perspective. 